All right, we are concluding concluding our series in Philippians called Backyard Conversations. Today's title of today's message is Stop and Smell the Roses. When all the yard work's done, when the weeding's been done, when all the stuff's been going on and it's time to enjoy it. I don't know, I've never actually gotten to this part in yard work where it's like, oh, I can enjoy it now because that's when you start noticing the weeds again that just got pulled five minutes ago, right? That's just how that works and you got to keep on working. But today we're going to talk about how to stop and smell the roses. Actually, it's just encapsulating the idea of contentment. Now, Philippians, if you've been reading it with me, if you've been coming uh, regularly during this series, you've known that Paul is tackling all kinds of difficult issues. We're in Philippians chapter 4 today, and this has just been such a a full uh, book of great things to talk about. The idea behind backyard conversations are these are the kind of conversations you have on the back porch when you're in deep conversation with somebody. Not just the, you know, hey, how you doing, neighbor? How you doing? Need to borrow a tool? Not those kind of conversations, but the ones where you are sharing uh, some sweet tea or some lemonade, and you are just kind of, how are you doing? And you get the, I'm doing fine. And then you have the actual time to look at somebody in the eyes and go say, no, how are you really doing? And this is about the conversation after that, Right? And I hope you're lucky enough to actually have those conversations and to dive into those kind of conversations. Paul is kind of having that full kind of conversation with the church of Philippi. He is speaking into them and he's, he's kind of taking away all the fluff. It's like, I don't have time. I'm in prison. I'm on actually on death roll. I don't really care about, you know, how your dog's doing. How are you doing? And he's just cutting to the trace, chase in a loving way and just speaking right to the hearts of people. And so that's what's going on here uh, today in the scripture. Let's set the context for Philippians. Philippians, uh, the church of Philippi is the first European church. This is amazing to think about. It's the first church planted without all the Jewish baggage or the Jewish heritage behind it. It doesn't understand, it wouldn't know what circumcision, circumcision was or who Abraham or David, they don't, that, they have no frame of reference for the Old Testament. And so this whole idea that this, is, this whole Jesus thing is brand new. This whole Messiah idea, this whole idea that a God loves them and cares about them is a dramatic, earth-shaking, philosophical-shaking idea. And the church of Philippi becomes Paul's little baby. He just loves them. And you can hear it in his voice as he writes these words to this church. And so that's kind of the context for who the church is. Now, where Paul is, is he's in jail. He's under house arrest. He's actually going to, he's in the prison that will ultimately lead to his beheading. And so that's how he is writing this. Now, he's talking about anxiety, and he's talking about contentment. But remember, I always think when I I get caught up in this trap of reading the Scripture, and like, well, everything must have been fine for them. They're the disciples. They're an apostle. God loved them. Right? Most of the time when John's writing a book of the Bible, he's in jail. Most of the time when Paul's writing a book, he's in jail, or just got shipwrecked, or a snake bit him, or somebody threw a rock at his head. Yeah, that's, this is the frame of mind that this guy is, these, they're writing these, these books of the Bible, that the Holy Spirit is working through them to pen these beautiful, beautiful letters to us. So this frame of mind, when we're talking about anxiety, is he is in jail. 
And the only place that any food comes to him, the only time that any pen and paper comes to him, the only time that you know, a new change of clothes comes to him is if someone else provides it. So I want you to kind of wrap your head around that. Think about that as we talk about him telling this church how to be content. Does this make sense? We're following along here. Okay, good, 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 good. Let's read. I'm going to read a lot of scripture. I don't usually do this much at one point, but this is just good stuff. So if you have your Bible, your phone, turn it or scroll it to Philippians 4, verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say it. Rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything. This is a guy on death row telling someone else, do not be anxious about anything. Do you see the, uh, the funny in that? But in every situation, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, Whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice. And last week we talked a lot about that. And the God of peace will be with you. Now for the new stuff this week. I rejoiced. Greatly in the Lord that you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I'm not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned what it is to be content whatever the circumstances. Go ahead and underline content in your Bibles there. I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want, I can do all this through him who gives me strength. And you can underline that whole last verse and just kind of put it on your mirror, right? There's, there's, there is dry erase or Sharpie worthy mirror verses. And that one is one of them, right? Every day in the morning, you write you read it while you're shaving or whatever you're doing. I can do all things through him. Who gives me strength? Now we get caught up in that and we forget the rest of it. I take out of this for my whole life, my whole life, two of the verses out of these last six or whatever, ten, nine actually, uh, have been playing in my head. Don't be anxious about anything. Great. I fell on that one. I'm anxious about being not being anxious. <laughs> and the last one, I can do all things through him who gives me strength. And then I kind of cut out the rest. I'm missing out on a lot of goody here, okay? There is a couple of things that we really need to kind of underline, think about as we process this massive amount of Scripture, a massive amount of, of intense advice that Paul is giving us. Underline the word rejoice or rejoice anytime you see that word. We got that frames this whole paragraph, rejoice. Anxious, anxiety, that also frames this. Practice. We talked about those last week. Practice. Underline that. you got to have that highlighted, whatever it is. And then finally, content. 
put content in there. And if I'm breaking apart this passage, these are just kind of, God has highlighted them for me as I've read them. I did this reading Philippians at least once a week for the last seven weeks. Just reading it and reading it and reading it and reading it. And these kind of just, God's like, mm, this one's important. That's what happens when you start repetitively reading the scripture is all of a sudden words and phrases will start popping out at you. And you're like, is there something different with the font there or what, what's going on? And it, that's how the Lord speaks to you through. If you wondered, how does God speak through this scripture? That's one of the ways. Is that when you repetitively read it, he'll start bringing things out to you. Promise. And then you're going to go, I don't even know what this means. That's okay. Call me. I would love to talk to you about it. The main point, the tweetable thing, the Facebook status of this morning is this. Anxiety is about our control. And contentment is about his control. God's control. Anxiety is all about our control, and contentment is all about his control. And this is the main jumping off point. This whole message is basically kind of like part two of last week, but hopefully uh, if you missed last week, you are not lost at all. I, don't, I don't, would hate for that to actually happen. But this is kind of a, a full completion of this thought on anxiety, this thought on how do we live this life. If we're not supposed to be anxious and supposed to be content, how does that even work in our just daily lives. Because if I think about me, Jared, there's a lot of things that cause a lot of stress, a lot of anxious moments, a lot of things that derail me, that keep me away from, from what I'm thinking about in God. He, he's really not even coming into my daily thought processes. So how does this work? How does this work? Well, I have a question for you. If you think about life, and you think about where you're at and what you're doing, is content a word that you can even use to describe yourself? And if we're honest with that question, we might get some answers that we're a little concerned about. Anxiety is all about our control, and contentment is all about his control. Remember, Paul is writing this in prison. He's telling people to be content when he is in jail. If I took a poll of everyone in this room and say, do you think you'd be content if you were in jail right now? I 100% could get that right. Everyone would say, no, I would not be content. This is not my happy place. But Paul has found a way to be content in that circumstance. Remember, he doesn't even get three squares a day. He doesn't get to go through the line. He doesn't get to do any of those things. He doesn't have clothes provided for him. He is put in a house and says, don't leave the house. And you're going to live off whatever somebody brings you. Well, I'm in Rome, and I don't know anybody in Rome. Tough cookies. You should have thought of that before you got arrested. This is the way that was done. This is interesting, right? So, so Philippians, he is, he is content in whether I'm hungry, and it's been three months since someone brought some food to my, my house. Or, man, the, the food truck backed up, and Philippians just dropped all kinds of care packages at my feet. Whatever it is, I'm content. Is it, are you guys understanding this? You're hearing this? Okay, good, 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 good. The word that has been racking my brain has just wrecked me. I've read this passage hundreds of times. And this word in the word study that I've done on rejoice has just shaped my, just 
rattling everything and how I frame everything and how I think about stuff in anxiety and how I think about things in contentment. This whole idea, rejoice, and again, I say, rejoice. Rejoice means to be glad of grace or to have joy in grace. That's what rejoice means. And we're going to learn some Greek words today. You ready for that? And if you, you girls uh, in here might get to know what their names mean. If your name is Kara, then your, your name means joy. And this idea of it's to be, to delight in. It's what joy means, to delight in it. So we're delighting in grace. Remember this, remember this, remember this. Rejoice. And again, I say rejoice. That's how he starts this whole process. Not with, you know, do this better or give more money or do all these things or you guys are uh, losers. He's saying, no, 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 no. How you frame everything with anxiety in your whole life is to rejoice and be glad of grace, to have joy in grace. Well, what's grace? Grace is, is um, carry. So they're really close to Kara is going to be your joy and carry is going to be grace. Which grace and it's kind of the easy definition is to have favor, to be shown favor. So take joy in God's favor. That's what this means. That's how we combat anxiety is to have joy, to delight in God's favor. And as I, I mean, I've been mulling this around and rattling around in my brain uh, for the last probably 10 days. And it's just kind of shaken me up to really, truly think about this. How do I approach situations in my life? How do I deal with things in my life? Does God's favor, do I even think I have God's favor in my life? Because what Paul's telling me, the starting point is to have joy, to delight in God's favor. Think about this. The Greek people of this church have never known the stories of Abraham. They don't know how God has provided over and over and over again for people. They, they don't know how God has redeemed the people from Egypt. They don't know the story of how they once were in slavery and then God did all these miracles to bring them out of slavery. They don't have that history. But what they do do have is a history of a weird interaction with all kinds of different gods. And having that God's favor and what that meant is, is very convoluted for them. So to have a God's favor who loves them and cares for them and would stop at nothing to save them is dramatic for them. Does this... Makes sense. Because I can't help but think that Paul's thinking, as any good Jew would, of having the favor of God meant to be redeemed out of slavery. And that's what actually what grace is for all of us, is when we are redeemed by God, whatever that looks like for us, when we are released from addictions, when we're redeemed from adultery, when we're redeemed from being a cheat and a liar and self-esteem issues, when we're redeemed from all that stuff, when God enters our life and shows grace to us and brings us out of it, it's the same thing as when God brought the Israelites out of Egypt, out of bondage, out of slavery. 
Now, something very interesting happens at that moment when God brings the people out of slavery, brings you and I out of slavery. He says this to them. He gives them ten rules, right? We call them the Ten Commandments. One of the main ones of these, one of the top ten, it's on equal par with don't kill anybody, is to remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. Think about what the Sabbath is. The Sabbath is a God-ordained, mandated day off. Think about that. We are excited this weekend because we get a government-mandated day off. Labor Day. Thanks for working, guys. Take a day off. You earned it. Thank you. How many of us are still working on Labor Day, right? My staff's working on Labor Day. <laughs> I just have a junky boss, apparently. But we're still, working, we're still working on Labor Day. But the Sabbath, God says, no, 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 no. You don't work today. And it's not, and people are like, I think about the Sabbath, like, oh, man, all these rules. And we think about Jesus, and we think about uh, all the things in the, in, in, the, in the biblical narrative of how Pharisees had made uh, the Sabbath such a legal rigmarole, and you can only take a couple steps and everything. The Sabbath is important because it's saying, take the day off. Why? To remember, to rejoice in my favor. If anxiety... Okay, remember. If anxiety is all about our control and contentment is all about his control, the Sabbath is all about his control. Just think about it. We work in a, they're working in an agricultural society. Everything's about how your sheep are doing and how many crops you're raising. Everything is all about, did my sheep survive? Did my goats do okay? I got to milk this. I got to do that. I got to do, do these things. Everything about your survival is focused in on that. To t- talk to a farmer about taking a day off during planting season. Look at you like you have three heads. Why? Because anxiety is about your control and contentment is about God's control. You see what's, what's happening there? God is saying, no, 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 I got this. One out of every seven days, give it to me and remember, rejoice in my favor. Does this make sense? The Sabbath isn't just about a day that you have to take off and I'm not going to, I can't cook anything this day. It's about remembering, sitting with your family and rejoicing about all that God has done for us. We have got to practice this. This is why it's so important. Because how often do we actually think about and rejoice? Again, I say rejoice. What, What is he talking about? Remembering all that God has done for us how he has brought us out and shown us favor. This is the key to contentment. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all this through he who gives me strength. It is a remembrance of who is in control. Is it God? Or is it me? As we talk about Labor Day, <clears throat> I want to push into this idea. I've been thinking a lot about this, about the American dream versus God's dream. And I'm starting to realize that every time I'm pushing towards the American dream, I find tension with God's dream in my life. 
The American dream is <clears throat> to earn enough money to buy stuff. Boiled down. To earn enough money to buy stuff over and over again. And then once you bought that stuff, to buy more stuff. Right? Because we're in the suburbs, so we have lived the American dream. Everyone here has fulfilled it. We moved to the suburbs. We have houses or places to live, hopefully, and maybe a car to drive. We have, congratulations, you just achieved the American dream. Do you feel like you achieved the American dream? Or is your thought process more combined with, how am I going to get more? Because I need more for this more thing that's going to be this more thing. Because we've already achieved what we always thought the American dream was, but that didn't turn out to be enough, did it? I, I'm, I'm not step, stepping my own toes here on, on this one because the arguments and the stress and the stuff that Kelly and I are going through right now, this past week, is all focused in on, wait a second, is this the, they're all focused on, well, the, all the negatives of not doing that is money. That we'll have less, it'll be less comfortable for us monetarily. All the negatives on like three or four different discussions that we had this week. And as I was right, while I'm writing this message, and I was like, Anxiety is about my control, and contentment is about God's control. I'm not saying don't be smart with money. I'm just saying, where are our priorities? Are they all about guarding our own hoard? Or are they about living out God's dream for us? God's dream is for us is to step under his authority and live our lives to the fullest. God's dream has given him control so we can be the people that he has called us to be. God can set us on a whole new path of contentment instead of anxiety. God is asking us to be glad in grace, to rejoice in what he has done for us. The American dream says, Rejoice in what you've done for yourself. Now, I'm not anti. I love living here. I'm glad I was born an American. But I just, we get caught up into it and we, we make the American dream some sort of pseudo Christian lifestyle. And it's not that at all. How are we stepping into God's dream for our life? It's to be content whether we have plenty or we are in need with who God is for us. What are the roadblocks to contentment? I think there's a couple of things that we need to reevaluate maybe this week of how, how am I not? Because if I look at myself and I'm thinking there and if I was on the back porch with you and we we're talking about how are you doing contentment? If that's not one of the words that comes to mind in describing your present situation, what are the roadblocks to getting you there? First one is this personal goals. I'm not saying personal goals are bad in any way, shape or form, but when personal goals conflict with God goals, they lead to anxiety. When personal goals lead to uh, conflict with God goals, they lead to anxiety. And you can think about that with your own, well, I wanted this. This week, I mean, the stock market's doing its yo-yo impersonation right now, right? If you, people were saying on one day that we were set back a year and a half in your stock portfolio. And one day, it was one hour actually, it opened at 8 o'clock central time, and I was watching uh, CNN at 9.15, and they said, well, you've just been set back a year and a half in your portfolio. And I said, 
The next day, I got jumped up back again to a year and a half where I was the day before. And right? So it's just, you'll sit there, watch the ticker with some thumbs, and you're going to be okay. That's but, but my personal goals of, you know, that fictitious thing of retirement, whenever that may, yeah. <laughs> Hopefully some church somewhere will want an 80-year-old pastor. That's all I got to say. <laughs> when, when personal goals conflict with God goals, they lead to anxiety. The second one is materialism. Worrying about what we want will always keep us from enjoying what we have. Worrying about what we want will always keep us from enjoying what we have. We have a 1978 19-foot Viking outboard that used to be an inboard that's held together with love and duct tape. And uh, it's my mother-in-law's boat, and we uh, we beat the tar out of that thing. It's got we replaced the carpet with this mauve hideous thing. I did not make the choice on that one. It goes really well with golden hair from my dog. <laughs> but it is a beater. It is a beater. The trailer that the boat goes on is worth more than the boat itself. Okay, and it's a wise investment right there. Those trailers. And this is what we are. This past week, we've been going back and forth on, are we going to make a purchase of a new boat? And it's beautiful, and it's wonderful, and all these things on this boat. Uh, are we going to do it? Are we going to? Well, and the question came back to, what's really wrong with the one that we have? We have all the stuff for it. It works most of the time. It's a little love, a little fonzying every once in a while. And this idea, like we were worrying so much about what to do with this purchase, what, what to go out with it. You know what? We didn't even take the boat cover off this week. It rained the whole time. That's really why we didn't take the boat cover off. But we didn't even enjoy what we had. And I, I would think that, you know, that's just a microcosm into Jared's life. But into all of our lives, worrying about what we want will always keep us from enjoying what we have. Over and over again, this, this will play out in your life over and over and over again. Other people's plans will keep you from contentment. When other people's opinions outweigh the voice of God, anxiety will rule. And I was talking to someone right before the service. They're talking about planning a wedding uh, with their daughter, right? If you've ever planned a wedding before. You know exactly what I'm talking about? The only big argument I've ever had with my mother-in-law was about three months before uh, the wedding because Kelly and I hadn't talked because we were seniors in college and crazy stuff was going on. And I was like, I'd like to know what my fiancé would like in her wedding, not what you want in the wedding. (laughs) Got real quiet in that van. Probably should have done that at a place I could have escaped. Right? And Johanna, I know you listen to these messages. I apologize for that outburst, but I um, just want to get that on record. Uh, it was just the, the, the intensity of those moments of when you're struggling with, I don't even know what I want. How, how is that person's opinion going to have on my life? And they're making these life choices for me, and I don't even know what I want yet. Those are very anxiety-filled moments, aren't they? 
When other people's opinions outweigh the voice of God, anxiety will rule. Because other people's opinions can get pretty loud in your life. Other people's opinions can get really, 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 really loud, like a clanging gong in your life. And maybe just to get them quiet, you go, okay, we'll do it that way. But we've not stopped and quieted ourselves to figure out what God's voice in our lives wants for us. And I think that's one of the things that keeps us from contentment, from experiencing this level of what God is talking about. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or want. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. I can, I can do all things in the one who sets me free. I can do all th- things in the one who gives me joy in the favor that he's bestowed on me. As we live this week, as we go through life, how do we step into and remember, maybe quiet ourselves to remember the favor that God has poured out in our lives. That we once were this, and now we are this. That we are once experiencing these things, and now he has set us apart for this. No matter what the situation, no matter what the money looks like, no matter what the boss is sounding like, no matter all those different things, we can't take away what God has done in our lives to redeem us. I once was addicted to this, and now I am free. I once was enslaved to this, but now I am free. This is what God does in our lives, and this is what God sets us about. I hope you participate in that this week, because I know it's something for me. I've never thought of it this way before, and it is just revolutionizing the way in which I even start my day out. I hope you'll join me in that. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for today, and thank you for this morning. Thank you that we got to dedicate a baby. Thank you for new life. Thank you for being a God who will not, who loves us so much, you won't leave us where we were. That you love us so much that you will take us to a new place. That you love us so much that you care deeply for us. God, right now, I know I try to wrestle control of my life away from you all the time. So right now, Lord, I want to give you control of it all. That you would take my marriage, that you would take my parenting, that you would take my work life, that you would take my portfolio, that you would take the very words of my mouth and bring them to your glory instead of my glory. God, I want to be able to find contentment whether I have a lot or very few, whether I'm hungry or full. I want to know what it's like to be living in your dream for my life. Lord, we love you and we praise your name. Amen.